The topic I had before us this morning is an old one, one I've talked about before, probably we'll talk about again, trying to put some of these ideas together in one place. That is some significant steps to spiritual growth. We've been talking in general terms for a month or two about growing as a Christian, beginning a new life, how to do that. This is another element. Not only do we have to beat the demons of sin, as it were, I use that literally or figuratively, that beset us, we have to make some effort to grow. And growth is something that we all want, but we don't want to do the things it takes to grow, it seems, because it's persistence that's there as a beginning. You know, uh, when you get bodily cells that grow too fast, it's it's what we call cancer. On the other hand, bodily cells that grow at the proper rate uh, we hardly notice it happening at all. I, I know this is true even in my yard. Uh, you know, last, late last, or in the spring, let's say April and May, uh, my back after the second surgery, it was just doing poorly. I got down. I really couldn't walk very much. I, I ended up being on crutches for two or three months and I had surgery in July. So I really couldn't do very much. Out in the back 40, as I call it, down the back of my place where I keep my chickens and bees. I'd go down there, try to hobble down there and do this and that. And um, so then by September or October, you know, I got where I could go down there again. Walk down through the yard, through all the tree roots and whatever, you know, rough lawn. Go down there and try to do some things, look around. I could not believe what I saw. There was a papaya tree this big around it grown up and had papayas on it right next to my house up into the gutter during that time. I didn't even know it was there. There were weeds covering. They had grown up all up against my beehives. All around everything. All the vines, all the weeds had begun to take over. When did that happen? Well, I tell you what. Had I walked down there every day and looked, I would have told you nothing is happening. Nothing is happening it all looks the same. But it was happening. Only when I got away and looked at it from a distance did I see, wow, I've got to get out. Some, I've got to find somebody to do some work here. I'm not going to do this. That was my first reaction. <laughs> Who do I know that has a weed whacker? But growth happens. And it happens sometimes for the weeds faster than it does for the plants that you want. And that may be true of spiritual growth. Two, spiritual growth happens if you persistent and do the right things. What does it take to grow spiritually? We all know we should grow spiritually, as we'll see in a moment, but what, what does it take to grow spiritually? Well, I'll give you three or four things. We'll try not to belabor them too much. Maybe the first point more than others. First of all, to grow spiritually, it's obvious. You knew I would say this. It takes a daily intake of the Word of God. That's what it takes. That's the fundamental ingredient. Just like for you to grow physically, it takes a daily intake of the proper nutrients for you to grow. And if you don't have that, you will not grow. And if you do grow, you'll be distorted and everything will be wrong. This is why my great-grandson has a feeding tube. Because he's not able to eat the proper nutrition on his own yet. And so he has a feeding tube. So make sure he gets the proper nutrition, a daily intake of the proper nutrition, so that he can grow properly. And he is. But without that, things wouldn't be so good. The Bible, at Psalm 119, I'd refer you to the whole psalm. It has over a hundred verses, so we obviously aren't going to read all of that this morning, although we would do well to read it. 
But let's just take a couple of passages from there. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. We have a song in our book, How Shall the Young Secure Their Hearts? It's an old song. This is the verse it's taken from. How shall the young secure their hearts? By a daily intake of the word of God, taking heed. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Where do you find God's commandments? You find them in the word of God. That's where you find them. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So you take in the word daily so that you don't sin against God because you hide it and you keep it in your heart. You understand what it means. And then you go way over in the other end of the psalm and many other scriptures in between. This is the one that has the fact that the word is a light to our path and to our feet. It's the same psalm. He says here in verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. Let me tell you something. Uh, Young people, listen to me. Usually you hear, and the Bible says this, that you should pay attention to your elders. I'm going to say, yes, that's true, except you better be careful who you pick as your elders today. Because you got a lot of old hippies who are your elders. In the 1960s, they broke away from Christianity completely. We had a revolution. The Beatles, the Beatles sung about it. The revolution was against Judeo-Christian teaching about morality and how to live. And now we're living in the, in that middle of that, of that revolution. And these old hippies are still in charge from the White House on down. They're old, they're old hippies who do not respect the Word of God as a general rule. In Politics and churches and entertainment. So what do you do about that, young people? It's not hopeless for you. You do what it says right here. You make a daily intake of the word yourself. And he says here that there are going to be, I'm going to interpolate this, there are going to be generations and times when you can't listen to the people around you who have lived immoral lives of of uh, having children out of wedlock and drug abuse and all. They've lived immoral lives, wickedness. You can't listen to those old people unless they're telling you what I did was wrong. You need to, you need the word of God in your heart. That's what will help you. And so this is what he's saying here. I'm wiser than the ancients and other people because I have your word. They don't know it. You know, I've told this many times. I wish I had just went in the other room, in the room where I have it as far as I know and, and picked one of them up. My mother's mother, my grandmother, we called her mom, was Maybe the best person I've ever known. Well, except my wife, of course. (laughs) Now, wait, you laugh. Let me just tell you something truthfully. She is so much like my grandmother that it's uncanny. Okay, it really is. I did well. You can say it's her, but I'm the one who picked her out of that whole bunch of girls. I picked that one. So there's something to say for me there. I picked that one. And I'll tell you something about my grandmother. If you'd met her, you'd say the same thing. A kind, gentle, firm, intelligent, godly woman with principles and character. Everybody around her looked to her for wisdom and for guidance and for love. 
And that's the way she was. Even my father, who was a German Catholic, didn't have anything to do with the church or anything when he was a young man. One day he told me, and I've said it before, he says to me when I was a young teenager, Mike, he says, if you ever really want to know how to live or what to do, and I thought he was going to say, well, you can come to me anytime. Well, what he said, he said, you need to go to your grandmother. She'll know what the right thing to do is. He said that about his mother-in-law. Okay, That's not that common. That my father recognized this is the woman who has wisdom and who knows how she ought to live. And you people thought, oh, she's a, she was born that way. Maybe she was. And I can go back and look at her life and I can say maybe she was kind of born that way. But I'll tell you what really it was. One day I was a teenager. Sometime, well, I was spent time with her. And I was at her little house there, her little 800 square foot house where my grandfather lived in. And she was putting something away, a little booklet or something away. And I said, what's that, Mom? And she said, well, this is my, my Bible booklet. She, and she took it out. It's a little pamphlet. And she said, see, I've, I've read the Bible all the way through this year. She, you see, open up, she had all these little check marks. Every day, a little box, and she checked them all off. I said, you've read the Bible every day? This, you read the whole Bible this year? She goes, yes. Yes, I have some more of these books in here. She goes in the shelf there. She had 22 years worth that I could see that I could count just off the top of my head. She had read the Bible through 22 years in a row every day for those 22 years. And then I began to think about it. And probably more that I don't know about. I began to think of all those times we were there in the evening and other holidays. All the people being in the kitchen drinking coffee and smoking and whatever they were doing and arguing and family gatherings, you know, and all the fun things we did. And we kids were out playing and there would, I'd go in and there would be my grandmother sitting in her chair with her Bible on her lap reading it. Okay. Is it a secret? Is some big secret that this woman knew how to live, knew how to be the right kind of person that she could influence her son-in-law? And uh, she's influenced me, and and through that, my grand, my children, my grandchildren. Any secret to that? It's not a secret. There's no real secret to spiritual growth or knowledge. It's the daily intake of the Word. That's what it is. And that's why I'm emphasizing with you on our Bible study that you need to do this. It isn't about listening to what I say. It's what you need to do. And so there's a definite relationship. And there's a difference between what I do, which is reading to prepare a lesson or a class, and reading to see what Mike needs to do. Difference between those two things. And I've many times in my life I don't haven't recognized that difference between reading to teach somebody else some great thing I want to put across and reading to know what I need to be thinking and doing and changing my behavior and my thoughts, you see. And so this is the... There's no substitute for feeding your character like this by this devotion to a daily intake of the Word. And that's why you 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 need to be able to say after so many years, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Unfortunately... We get caught up in a lot of things. We'll come back to this, but get caught up in a lot of things and we, we don't go there. We don't really make that the effort that we need because we're dominated by what has to be done right now. And so the other thing that goes with that though is not only the idea of studying and learning the word and daily reading, but it's memorizing the word. 
Back in those the old days, back in the good old days, when I went to Bible class when I was a kid, my mother drove me to Bible class every time they had one. You know, <clears throat> one of those kind of kids. They'd sit there and they had a, the workbooks that the little workers that gave us had memory verses, and my mother would drill in the memory verse on Saturday night. Uh, that oftentimes I remember we would play canasta or some other game at the table the family would the six of us my parents and the four brothers the three brothers and me we'd play some kind of game and while the, and whoever well it's your turn you leave the table you go take your bath and when you get done with your bath you you do your memory verse and you come back and you can play the game so we had to come back and to tell my mother our memory verse and we could play the game again you know just around in a circle like this so I've memorized a lot of scripture without knowing it when I was a kid do you think parents do that today I, I I don't think so. And the truth is, I didn't do that with my children like I should have. I failed in that respect. It's a lot of trouble. Requires discipline. But you have, whether your parents did it or not, you have to do this yourself. So I will meditate on your precepts, he says in Psalm 119.15, and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And so we have this idea, there's a song we sing, in the hour of trial, Jesus plead for me, lest by base denial I depart from thee. When thou seest me waver, with a look recall, nor for fear or favor suffer me to fall. I think that's the first verse of that song, in the hour of trial, it's in our book. Now my question about that is, what do you what comes to your mind in the hour of trial when you are put to the test with a temptation or a discouragement or uh, the concept the idea of seeking revenge because something bad has happened to you what comes to your mind when when you are tempted sexually with some temp- temptation does the does the story of Joseph Fleeing from Potiphar's wife? Does that come to your mind? Does Paul's admonition to flee fornication, does that come to your mind? Or does the song, Help Me Make It Through the Night, and come to your mind? Or the song, uh, which one I heard the other day, uh, If It Makes You Happy, How Can It Be Wrong? Does that come to your mind? See, the culture, the culture pumps us filled up. You know that turkey that people shoot the stuff into the breast to blow them up for Thanksgiving. That's what our brains are with all this trash. It just gets pumped into us constantly through earbuds, directly into our brains. The Scriptures don't have that advantage. We have to actually go and do this. So, But you need to have the word in your heart that I might not sin against thee, it says. That's the problem. And I stand as uh, deficient in that as many of you. The second thing that we need is an understanding of the enemy that we face. Now, there's a lot there in that statement because the truth is that in the world that we live in and the one that's people that are pumping our minds full of this stuff, the enemy is not who you think the enemy is. The enemy is the church or religious leaders. The enemy is God. The enemy is the Bible. That's who the enemy is to them. 
They've spent their lifetime trying to destroy anybody's faith in the Bible. New York Times said you're an evil and dangerous person if you believe the Bible, believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And I can pull up the quotes for you on that, but you think I'm just making something up. These are the people we need to be afraid of, these Bible believers. Who is the enemy? Well, the other side of that is that if you go to a lot of churches, what you find is the enemy isn't Satan. He's just, it's just a good or evil. The enemy is social injustice or it's poverty or environmental damage. That's the enemy that we're fighting. It's not who the, that's not who the Bible says the enemy is. The Bible says the enemy is a real person, a real being, a real person named Satan, the adversary, the devil, Diabolos, the enemy of mankind, the opposer of God. That's who the enemy is. Do you believe in that? Do you believe that he's real? Or do you just think he's some little cartoon character with a a bifurcated tongue, you know, and a red suit? Is that who you think the devil is? Just some little cartoon? You see that, if you're older, you see that little thing that sits on Snuffy Smith's shoulder or Donald Duck's shoulder and whispers in his ear some bad things? Is this an imaginary thing or is he real? Real. Well, the Bible says the enemy is real. And until you understand that, until you understand that the devil is real and that he is waging war against not only Christ himself and Christ's church, but when he says he's arrayed himself against the church, he's talking about you individually. Christ, the devil cannot destroy the church until he destroys individual Christians. Because that's what the church is. Individual Christians. Be sober, Peter says in 1 Peter 5. Now think about this for a minute. Who's Peter? Well, he's the apostle who, in the hour of trial, by the fire, Peter denied his Lord three times there in that evening. He's the one the devil came at. And you know, Jesus said, I'm going to pray for you, Peter, because the devil has asked me for you to, he may sift you as wheat. Jesus told Peter directly, the devil has asked me for you, I think because he knows you're the strongest one. He's asked me for you that he might sift you as wheat. I loved sifting from my mother when she was cooking. Get that little thing there and you squeeze it and all the flour comes through and you get all the lumps out of there. I just love doing that and all the, that makes a mess. That's part of it. It's getting all the lumps and everything out. Well, you know what? It's a painful process for the flour, I imagine, if flowers had, flower had feelings. He said, Peter, he's asked me for you. Now then later, Peter fails miserably. Now then Peter writes this later in his life. Be sober. Pay attention. Wake up. Don't be intoxicated. Don't be led astray. Be vigilant. That means pay attention. Watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Not resist the force. Not resist social injustice. Not resist a politician. Resist him. Satan, a man, a person, steadfast in the faith, knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, I've probably said this before, but I'll say it again. What, what this really sometimes means is that you just need to talk to this devil, the devil, and tell him what's what. There have been times in my life when I've done wrong and I haven't ever done resorted to either God or Satan. I've just done what I wanted to do. And then there have been other times when I've been able to see what's right out right in front of me 
this choice I have. And I'm able to say, well, you got me. You got me. I did what I said I wouldn't do again. I've done it again. And there's other times, and I'm telling Satan this. I'm not telling God this. I'm telling Satan this. Because he's real. And I'll say, well, yep, you tried, but you didn't get me this time. I let him know. That's what the resisting is. I'm not just resisting evil per se in some generic way. I'm resisting the one who is trying to deceive me. And he throws many roadblocks. Now, the, the bad part, now we can talk about Satan. I've got to move on here. But you know you know who Satan is usually using? It isn't him. He's not appearing to me in, in some kind of a bodily form. He's appearing to me usually in the form of people. People that are trying to get me to do wrong. And get me to act in a certain way and push me this way or pull me that way. It's the people and the circumstances in life that I gotta see in them. I've got to see the workings of Satan. Not that I'm saying that person's possessed. I'm not saying they're the devil. I'm saying he's working through these people to influence me to do wrong. And I have to be able to see that. How do you find that out? Well, partly is you'll see, you find that out through the word. And the book of Second Corinthians, in the bigger picture of the book, there been a, there was a man in the book of First Corinthians who was sinning, committing fornication, because he was having relations apparently with his father's wife. Paul says you shouldn't have this man in your assembly and be proud of it. He needs to be rebuked. He's acting like nothing's wrong. You need to rebuke him and cast him out, as it were. Turn him back over to Satan if he wants to live like that. And so they did. They became angry and they did. And then he repented of that and tried to get things right with the church, but the Corinthians wouldn't accept it. They wouldn't have him back. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to them to tell them, you need to encourage this brother who has repented and take him, accept him back, and pick him back up. And he says in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 2, for to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you would be obedient in all things, including taking this man back when he repented, now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So Satan can harm the church. He's so devious. He can harm the church because this man was committing open immorality in the church and the church was boasting and be proud because they were willing to accept this. So immorality can come into church and Satan can influence evil in the church, influence others to do evil by, through the, through the wickedness of one man. And then if you can get that one man to repent through the word of Christ, he can also hurt the church because the church won't, won't forgive. And do the right thing in the case of his forgiveness. So Satan has two ways to destroy you. And you would think it would be only one, but there's at least two. Those are part of his devices that he uses. again. And the word devices there is where we get schemes from. Scheme. Schematic can be a plan or a scheme can be an evil divisive thing. Now the next thing that we need to look at is what you need for spiritual growth is constant communication with the Father. Jesus said, to teach another point, well, maybe to teach this point, he told a couple of parables in Luke 18. We're not going to speak at length about the point of the parables, but I want to make this point with you. It says, Then he spoke a parable to them 
that men ought always to pray and not to faint or lose heart. Jesus said men ought always to pray and not to give up. And then he told them about an unjust judge who wouldn't hear what anybody had to say except this woman, this widow, kept coming and bothering him over and over again with the same request. And finally this unjust man says, well, uh, she's about to wear me out. I'm just going to give her what she wants because she's about to wear me out. And Jesus says, listen to what this, uh, even an unjust judge who doesn't care what anything good is, doesn't care what God says, doesn't care what man says, he's going to do what he wants. Even that man will do what you want sometimes. The Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he hear, bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? A lot in those verses. Here's what he's saying. Even an unjust judge can be moved by you constantly coming and talking to him. He will do what you want, even if he doesn't really want to. He says, you don't think God will avenge you, the ones who are his chosen ones, when you cry out to him day and night? Even though he bears long, meaning it may be longer than you think it's going to be. You may have to cry out longer than you think, but he will avenge you speedily, meaning in his own time. In the right time. The word speedily here really means in the right time. He will avenge you. So he's saying do not lose heart. But what we get caught up with in our... Uh, how many... If I ask you, to all of you, how many of you think that you should pray more and better prayer? I, I would think that almost all of you would do like I'm doing right now. You'd raise your hand and say, yeah. I'm not asking you to do that, but I'm saying, yeah. You know, and I could stand up here and guilt you, make you feel terrible because you don't pray like you ought. And most, many of you maybe should feel terrible about that, because sometimes I do. I'm not trying to do that, but I am pointing out to you what happens to us is what some people have called the tyranny of the urgent. The reason we don't pray as we ought is because we have so many things that we want and need to do right now. And we say, I'll pray later. I'll take care of that later. I'll do that later. I don't have time right now for that. So we get caught up in everything that's going on around us. And the tyranny of the, ur tyranny of the urgent stops us from talking to the Father. You know, you can see this in marriages. Uh, you can see this in marriages all the time. You're two people that say they love each other and they're living their lives together they're in the same house. And the complaint comes back after a while by one spouse or another. They don't have time for me. They never talk to me. We never communicate. Well, you do communicate. When are you going to pick up the kids? What's this? What's that? You know, you do make these little communications, but do you really communicate? No, because you're living, especially if you have small children, under the tyranny of the urgent. Everything has to happen. That's, that's why sometimes relationships are strained when a new baby comes on the scene, or, or especially when you get, you get, you have trouble with one. When you get two, no, you don't have twice as much trouble. You have three times as much trouble, at least, when you have two. Here Judy had five under eight years old. And Susan was the nicest one of all, believe it or not. So, you know, that tells you something. But the fact is, yeah, I could just give her that look. And she, that's right. No, I don't think Brian's mastered that look yet, apparently. You, you try. I have. You have. Okay, all right, all right, good, good, good for you. I hope you do. But anyway, the point is, the, the point is that we get caught up in living every day, even with our spouse or our children, and with the children of the urgent, and we don't communicate like we should. We have trouble with that. 
But it's much more important that we do this with God. And so you find this here with Jesus, this interesting little side story. It says in Mark 1, verse 35, well, maybe not a side story, but a side point. I don't think this is the main point. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. Speaking of Christ, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So he got up before daylight for anybody else, went off by himself, and he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Don't you know? What are you doing over here by yourself? Don't you know? We need you. Everybody wants you. you they need you. This is the tyranny of the earth. And he said, okay. He said, fine. We're going to go somewhere else. And he took them to other villages from there. But you see what's happening even to Jesus while he was on the earth? The tyranny of everybody wanting a piece of him kept him. In this case, it, excuse me, it did not keep him from taking the time to communicate with his father to pray. It does us though. And so there's a part of our problem. So figure out in your life when that's going to happen. Maybe it's, you're going to have to pray, and you probably do while you're driving down the interstate or on your way to work. I know that when I drive down the interstate, I cause everybody else to pray. So, you know, that's one thing I got going for me. And God's happy with me because there's Mike. He's making everybody around him pray. So, okay, maybe that's when you have to do that, though, when you're driving or uh, some other t- when you're working out. You know, or whatever you're doing, you, you need to pick a time that you can pray just between you and the Lord and talk. Just talk. You don't have to have some list of exotic spiritual things to say. Just talk about what's on your mind, what you're, what you're dealing with, what's, what's troubling you, what's not troubling you. Uh, just talk to God about it and you'll begin to see a great deal of difference in your life. All right. The other thing that has to happen that goes along with these two is cultivating your faith. Because there it is. Faith. Well, that sounds easy. Faith is such, is used so commonly in our religious discussions that I think we kind of overlook the significance of it a little bit. Faith is real simple. Do you believe what God says? That's the question. Faith. Do you believe that the Bible means what it says or what God says about this? And, and so you have to cultivate this faith and that involves Every day deciding whether you're going to believe what you're being told by the powers that be around you are going to believe what the Bible says about something. I, I was trying to get to on the radio this morning. I, we, we didn't get there because it's a complicated subject. This intellectual futurist wrote an article that by 2045, because of artificial intelligence, we will have reached the singularity where human, human knowledge will all be combined into one united thing and all of us will have the secret to longevity and good life and all of us will have the, all the knowledge that we possibly need because of artificial intelligence, the singularity. And this goes along in the big picture with a one-world government where certain intellectual people lead us all and tell us the right way to live. Medical science will be united with all these other social sciences. It'll all be political science. It'll all be united into one singularity. Do you believe that? Sounds good, except I don't believe it. Why don't I believe it? Well, I have one little tiny, one little tiny piece of faith. And that is the word of God says that man, God divided man up so that man could not be a singularity. That God divided man into people, into ethnicities and, and groups, and he wants them to stay that way. Split them up. 
scattered them all over the world. And the only singularity that there's going to ever be that's worth anything is the church of Jesus Christ. That's the only one singularity that brings all men back together. Now that's what my faith and what God said in his book tells me. That is completely against what the intellectuals say, what secular people say, anything. It's completely against those ideas. So you're just some kind of, of a crackpot, fundamentalist crackpot out here. Okay, if that's what you say it is, then I'll accept that. But the truth is, I do not believe that man will ever achieve for any length of time some singularity of knowledge and unity that's worth anything or anything good. Because God didn't let it happen before, told why didn't let it happen, and He then, and then the worst part of it is, God did create His own singularity. There is one God, there is one faith, there is one Lord, you see. Is that not a singularity? I think I know what the word means, I'm not that stupid. Yes, it's a singularity, and God made His own singularity. Do you think these people want that? No, they're trying to get you to buy into, without ever thinking about it, their own notion. And so cult, faith, faith is is believing what God says for what it is. Now, we can be wrong about our conclusions. I can be wrong about that. But I'm not wrong about the fact that I need to trust what the Lord says. And so, Because God says in Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he exists as he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. To please God, it takes diligently seeking the Lord. You can't do it accidentally by being born in a certain place and time or a certain race, or you can't please God that way. You please by him by diligently seeking him, by having faith. So there it is. And then, and then you say, uh, Peter says, in a general way about this. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked, just like we're talking about. But grow, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So cultivate your faith. Cultivate by reading his word, by looking around you, by seeing the things that God says, how they are true about what man says. And if you read the Bible, you'll begin to see what God says about mankind and moral things is true. Oh, they're coming to a new discovery now. Do you know, I read something, read something this week. New discovery. The social scientists have decided something. It's just beginning to dawn. I said, you know, this is some new kind of knowledge. It's controversial to put out there, but they've said that they're beginning to conclude that living together before marriage doesn't really help your marriage when you do get married. See, the common wisdom taught our children and you for years is if you live together, you'll find out if you're compatible, then your marriage will last longer. You know, the trouble with that is it really isn't holding up to the scientific data on the subject. What they're finding is it shortens the marriage to live together before marriage. It makes it much, much more likely on the magnitudes of order that you'll be divorced if you live together before marriage than if you don't live together before marriage. Wow, this is groundbreaking information, isn't it? Well, that is unless you read the Bible and believe what the Bible says. Cultivate your faith that that's what's right. Even if you haven't done that, you have to believe that the Bible is right about that. So here's what, here's the conclusion then, and we'll wrap it up this, this morning for you. You need a daily intake of the word. Make some plans for that. You need to understand who the enemy is. 
You need some constant communication with the Father and you have to cultivate your faith. Now, we could break those down to subpoints, but we're not going to now. We'll leave it like that. And I want you to think about what it takes for you to change your life to begin to grow spiritually. And you'll see that growth next year. Five years. You'll look back and say, yep, there it is. But you've got to be patient for that growth. All right. Thanks for listening today. I appreciate it very much. And we pray that you gain something of some value uh, and look at this. Take the scriptures we mentioned. Go home and study and read those. And as we close our service this morning, um, let me pull it back up here for you. Uh, Brother Joel has selected a song for us to sing as a means of encouraging you. If you need prayer this morning by your, for your brothers and sisters to help you, encourage you about something you're struggling with, come to the front now. We're going to sing number uh, 23, All Things Are Ready. Or this morning, if you'd like to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, you come forward. Let us know about that. We'll help you and we'll help, help you become a Christian. Let's stand and sing.